Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 17. Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared for the Passover. The Lord Jesus is going to direct two of his disciples to prepare a room in Jerusalem for the Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover were feasts that were deeply ingrained in the Jewish sensibilities and, and in the hearts of the Jewish people. Most are aware of how God delivered Israel from bondage and slavery from Egypt with signs and wonders. And this particular event is outlined in detail in Exodus chapter 12. Passover was also a time when many Jewish people came to believe that the Messiah would redeem Israel. In fact, many came to believe that God would not only redeem Israel in the future, you'll remember that they would set aside a special place for Elijah to come, always constantly aware that redemption was drawing near. And the disciples at this point have no idea that Jesus plans to initiate and institute a new ordinance, a permanent ordinance, that's been called by a number of different things. It's been called the Lord's Supper. It's been called communion. It's been called the Eucharist by different denominations. Jesus is going to tie his sacrifice and his death to this event, to Passover. In a very real sense, we know that Jesus is the Passover lamb. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you'll remember right before Jesus calls Andrew and John, who were followers of, of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 35, John the Baptist, seeing Jesus, says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist will repeat that in the presence of those disciples in John chapter 1 verse 36 where it says, while looking at Jesus, this is John the Baptist, while looking at Jesus said, behold the Lamb of God. And so the Lord's Supper or Christian communion is going to be tied, linked, if you will, to the Passover in verses 17 through 19. It's going to serve in part as an appeal to the sinner to turn from sin in verses 20 through 25, and it will be a permanent ordinance acknowledged and celebrated by the church throughout the church age in verses 26 through 30. And so the Passover will picture the death of Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the final sacrifice. He's the satisfying sacrifice. 
He dies on Passover. Unleavened bread pictures the sinless Jesus. Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. So the feast, Reshit, or first fruits, foretold his resurrection on the third day. Shavuot, which was Pentecost, would foretell the coming of the Spirit in 50 days later. In all the feasts, God is going to provide protection for his people and provision for his people and a promise for his people. Three of the seven appointed feasts in the Jewish calendar were called pilgrimage feasts. These were mandatory pilgrimages, if you will, where every Jewish male was required to present himself or to appear before the Lord. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. One of those three feasts is here. Hag, Ha, Matzot, the feast of the unleavened bread. And so in verse 17, it says, Now on the first day of the feast of Hag, Ha, Matzot, unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now I want you to note something right away in the text. Jesus doesn't approach the disciples. The disciples come to Jesus. Now, again, this little nuance in and of itself, I think, has great implications. Why? Because the disciples understand that their master, their teacher, this Jesus, observes the Jewish feast days. Jesus is going to face great difficulty in celebrating this Passover and this Feast of Unleavened Bread. There are enemies, you'll remember, in the city who want to kill him. He has no home. He has no permanent residence within the city. And so Jesus, in order to celebrate this most important feast, is going to have to rely on the generosity and the hospitality of others. Every detail of the Passover meal is going to unfold with profound significance. The preparation is going to include securing the lamb and securing the food. Later on in the text, remember Jesus is going to say to the disciples, go into the city to a certain man. Here the man remains unnamed. And again, I think that's important. Do you want to know why? Because in the New Testament, when we have a list of people like Peter, James, and John, or, or after the resurrection, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, it lists one purpose, one person named Cleopas, and then another person remains unnamed. I suspect because the text will invite the reader to assume the identity of the unnamed disciple. You get to be this person in the text. In a very real way, Jesus is basically saying, I'm coming to your house. And we are going to share the lamb together. 
What in the world does that mean? The Passover lamb, you'll remember, was selected on the 10th of Nisan and killed on the 14th of Nisan. Nisan would usually fall on the, on the Julian calendar or our calendar in that period of time that we call March and April. You'll remember the Jewish people had a lunar calendar. And we have a solar calendar. That means that instead of 365 days, they have a lunar calendar that shifts and rotates and floats, if you will. So the evening of the Passover meal would be eaten on 14 of Nisan. The Feast of Unleavened Bread follows immediately after the Passover on 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. It consisted of seven days. And so in the Jewish calendar and in the Jewish mind, the entire time was sometimes called the Passover in Luke chapter 22, verse 1. Sometimes called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, like it is here. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Families would remove all traces of leaven from the home in order to bake the unleavened bread. Hence the name, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Again, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or Chag HaMatzot, is mentioned in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 6. And it begins 15 Nisan. And again, for seven days, the Jewish people eat unleavened bread. At the end, a holy convocation is called so that during this time, no customary work is allowed. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, it says, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. This is the first mention of leaven in the Bible. And by the way, for those of you who don't know what leaven is, it's the tiny, invisible, imperceptible yeast that you would put in the dough that causes the bread to rise. So the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread have their origins when God told Israel to make final preparation, to experience delivery, to be set free from slavery. You know the story how the children of Israel go into Egypt through the, 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 the abduction, if you will, and the human trafficking of Joseph. Joseph winds up in Egypt. He winds up working for one of Pharaoh's servants and he himself is accused of a crime. He gets thrown in jail. You all know the story. There's this incredible release. He's elevated to a position of authority. He's placed in a position of responsibility. The children of Israel experience a momentary freedom. But then Joseph dies. And months turn into years and years turn into decades. And the children of Israel become slaves in this particular place. And in order to be redeemed from that slavery, it was going to require the intervention of God. 
You as a Christian already see the parallel. We were born slaves to sin. In order for you to experience freedom from your sin, it's going to require the supernatural intervention of God in order to set you free. And so in Exodus chapter 12, verse 18, it says, In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your homes. Since what, whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be kerot, cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations, you shall eat unleavened bread. In this chapter, Exodus chapter 12, again, we have this first mention of leaven. It becomes a type and a picture of that which is evil, that which is corrupt, that which is sinful. Later in the New Testament, it will come to represent hypocrisy. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Rationalism in Matthew chapter 16, verses 6, and also in, in verse 12. You'll remember when Jesus says to his disciples, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And his disciples think, Jesus is bummed out because we didn't bring bread. And Jesus goes, I'm not bummed out because you didn't bring bread. Beware of the leaven of the of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. What is that leaven? It was not just hypocrisy, but it was a refusal to believe the supernatural, the provision of God in Christ the Messiah. The context was Jesus was doing miracles, and they were basically saying he's doing miracles by the power of, of demons. And so it became... A time of, of thinking about hypocrisy or a failure of unbelief even, of worldliness in Mark 8.15, of evil conduct in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 6, and false doctrine in Galatians chapter 5 verse 9. And so all of these images are presented to us in the New Testament to represent this leaven. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 7 and 8, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So apparently this leaven has physical representation, but it also has a supernatural and spiritual application because it has something to do with, with, with what's going on inside of the human heart. My heart. Your heart. Some cite this verse, 1 Corinthians 5-7, as proof that Christians must keep the Jewish Passover. But the context is Paul rebuking the Corinthian church 
for its indifference to sexual immorality, for its indifference to evil in the church. This indifference to evil and this indifference and toleration of wickedness resulted in horrible divisions. In the name of tolerance, the church had allowed leaven, malice, and wickedness in the midst of the church. And so Paul saying to the Corinthians, Christ is our Passover. He's sacrificed for us. The Passover doesn't make Christ special. Jesus makes the Passover special. Do you understand the difference? It isn't the Passover that imbues Jesus with meaning. It's Jesus who imbues these types and pictures and images with meaning. And so Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread anticipate the work of Jesus on the cross, his sacrifice. And so repentance and faith are inseparable in understanding the work of Jesus. Now, during this Passover, family members would search the home for any breadcrumb that would have fallen anywhere. Rugs would be uncovered. Cracks would be carefully searched. Whatever was found, no matter how small of a breadcrumb was found, it was removed. And you have to remember that in this act of removing the leaven, the family members in the Jewish home are affirming not just their desire to ritualistically get rid of leaven. It's they want to get rid of evil in their heart. Wickedness in their heart. Why? So they can participate in the faithful journey that's about to be made by Moses and the children of Israel. This is why... Week after week and month after month, I invite you to put away sin. I invite you to repent of your sin. I say, will you please turn from your sin? Will you please turn to the Savior? Will you put away the wickedness and the malice in your heart? Will you do what the scriptures say? Will you invite Jesus to be the solution to the problem of sin in your life? And so, again, in this Jewish home, someone representing the family would secure a lamb and they would present the lamb for slaughter to the priest in the temple and then the representative would return with the lamb while others prepared dishes for the Passover. The Passover is sometimes referred to in Jewish circles as seder, or the seder. The seder means to set those things in order. That's the meaning of the word. So you hear the word Passover, remember for the Christian, and for the Jew even, it's the passing over of the death angel in order to avoid judgment, seder, is to set in order. It was all to take place in one night and it would constitute one meal. Now, Bible scholars are divided whether this last supper or this 
communion was, in fact, the Passover meal. John's gospel seems to place the, the meal in the evening before the Passover, but the synoptic gospels, the synoptic gospels are Matthew and Mark and Luke. They identify the meal as the Passover meal. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 18 in our text, it sort of settles the question for me, and I hope for you, where Jesus says, I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. That seems fairly clear. In Jesus' mind, he thinks he's celebrating the Passover. Remember what I said to you earlier? Does the Passover give meaning to Jesus or does Jesus give meaning to the Passover? Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover. And look what it says in verse 18. The Lord's Supper and the Lord's upcoming death. He says, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. The Lord sends the disciples. We know from Mark's gospel and Luke chapter 22, verse 8, that Peter and John are the ones who are sent on this clandestine mission to the city, to an unnamed man who's going to lead them to the appointed house and to the unnamed host. The reason why, again, I think that this is important, in a very real way, the text invites you to be the unnamed host. It invites you to ask and answer the question, will you participate with Jesus in his plans to redeem you and reconcile you? And so... Remember, why all the secrecy? Why all the clandestine meetings? Why does this have to be on a hush-hush basis? Remember what we've already learned earlier in the chapter. Judas has already sold out Jesus to the religious authorities. This final Passover, this last supper must be celebrated. Jesus has some things that he wants to reveal to his disciples. And I suspect to reveal to you and to me. And so Jesus must celebrate this. Jesus knows who these unnamed, who the unknown, unnamed person is. He knows who they are. He also knows about their willingness to cooperate just like he knows you. He knows what's inside of you. He knows what's inside of your heart. He knows if you're open or closed, if you're willing or unwilling. Again, just from a historical standpoint, who is this man? Who is his family? Why does he lend his home for this final meal? I suspect we're giving at least a couple of clues in Mark chapter 14, verse 13, and Luke chapter 22, verse 10. In those passages, Jesus tells them that they're going to be able to identify the man because when they find him, he's going to be a man carrying a pitcher of water. 
Now, some scholars have suggested that this would have been an activity that would have been usually restricted to a woman or to a servant. I'm going to suggest to you that that might be true, that it was an activity restricted to a woman or restricted to a servant, but it nonetheless serves as the signal of who this person is. Again, we're not given either the man's identity or the servant's identity, but apparently it's someone who would know Jesus' disciples, who are aware of who Jesus is, and who identify himself as a Jesus follower. We know that it's in an upper room in Mark 14, 15, and in Luke twenty two twelve. 12. In Mark 14, 13, we read, Go into the city, and a man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of that house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? In Mark 14, 15, then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. Therefore, make ready for me, unquote. Jesus basically says to his disciples, all of the preparation has been made. The plan is made. The location is private. The location is secure. The location is secret for now. Some people have suggested, well, was this some sort of prearranged signal? Or did Jesus supernaturally know? I don't know the answer to that. Just like I don't know the answer to, does Jesus just simply know who you are? Or does Jesus call you in such a way that you're compelled to come to him? The, 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 the illustration that I like to use is for married couples. When you married your husband. Husbands, when you married your wife, who found who? Did your husband find you? Did you find your husband? At some point, you both have to cooperate in the process of forming a relationship. Here, there is a secure location that's supernaturally or intentionally known. Tradition places this house this upper room as the room of the father and mother of Mark who wrote Mark's gospel. If that's true, when Mark's father hosts the Passover or what we call the Lord's Supper, Mark's father would have known exactly again who the teacher is, who the disciples are. But the disciples will do exactly as Jesus directs them and he will make preparation for him so that others will follow. Just like you. Jesus knows who will follow him and who won't. Jesus knows what your life will be like. Jesus knows 
what children you'll have. Jesus knows what influence that you will exercise in the course of your life. And the disciples leave Bethany. This is the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They go in the morning. They go to Jerusalem. They make contact with the unnamed disciple who's going to serve as the host for this final meal. And remember, the Passover meal, at least in this point in Jewish history, has to be eaten within the city wall. The sacrifice of the lamb has to take place in the Jewish temple. The seder or the Passover meal is going to take place within the confines of Jerusalem. And so Jesus tells the disciples to tell the man, my time is at hand. What does that mean? The Lord Jesus is going to use that phrase over and over again as a reference to his death. Over and over again, Jesus will use the term, my time is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. Those of you who've read the New Testament, Jesus will have several encounters with critics and skeptics, but also people who hate him and who want to hurt him and who try to kill him. And the repeated testimony will be, it's not my time. It's not my hour. It's not my time. It's not my hour. But now the hour has come. Now the appointed time has come. It almost certainly is a reference to his death. It may be a reference to opportunity. But I'm going to suggest to you that Jesus is communicating once again. My time has come. My time is at hand. The sacrifice is about to be made. At the end of the verse, the Lord's Supper and the Lord's obedience, he says, no, read it for yourself. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The reason why I think that this is so very, very telling is it's going to mark a moment in history where Jesus is going to communicate to his loved ones about what's about to take place. But I think it provides a picture in time and space and eternity where in the future Jesus approaches you. And he basically says, I'm going to keep the Passover at your house, in your heart, with my disciples. I'm going to make myself available. You see, he's going to share the lamb with you because he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. You see, the Lord is going to keep the Passover as a sign of obedience to God. But it isn't just an obedience that says, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. It's an obedience unto death. You'll remember, in order for Israel to be spared the plague of the death of the firstborn, it's going to require the death of a lamb, and the lamb has to have no defects. It's going to be killed. Its blood is going to be shed. The blood is going to be posted on the doorframe of each home in killing the lamb. The people are going to have to participate in the shedding of innocent blood. And in order for Jesus to participate in your heart, 
you're going to have to participate in the death of the Lamb. In what way? You're going to have to come to the realization that it is your sin that is going to necessitate your deliverance from that sin. The lamb is a sacrifice. He's a substitute for the person who would have died in the plague. And so the type and the symbol is unmistakable. The Hebrew people would have clearly understood that in order to be spared from death, an innocent life, an innocent sacrifice is going to have to be offered. And the lamb is going to have to be killed in order to get that blood on that doorstep and in, or, in, in order to get it on the doorpost. And the blood, think about this, the blood on that doorpost is going to serve as a sign to protect them from the death angel. Just like the blood of Jesus served as a protection for you against the penalty of death. Not the certainty of death. The Bible says the soul that sins it will surely die. The Bible says it's appointed once for a human being or for a person to die. Barring the rapture, each and every person within the sound of my voice will one day die. But your death doesn't have to result in separation from God. But rather, the sacrifice of Jesus is going to represent participation with the Lord. Jesus is going to keep the Passover in the sense that it was meant to be kept. Jesus is going to, he's going to keep the Passover by becoming the Passover. He himself will be the sacrifice. The Lord commanded the children of Israel to keep the Passover and observe it. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 17. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance from that moment forward every generation of Jewish people would mark the moment of deliverance forever and so the disciples prepare for the Passover but God had been preparing Jesus to be the Passover since before the foundation of the world since before you ever were, since before you ever had a problem, before you committed even one sin, before you committed all those sins, before you committed every sin, Jesus is going to make a provision for you. The entire mosaic sacrificial system will point to Jesus' burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings. The sin offering was 
required for unintentional sin in Leviticus 4.2. You mean for the things that I, I did and I didn't even know they were wrong. And the trespass offering was required for unintentional, unintentional sin against God, against holy things, against your neighbors in Leviticus chapter 5 verse 15, in Leviticus chapter 6 verses 2 and 3. Jesus is going to make a provision for every kind of sin, the sin that you're aware of, the sin that you're unaware of, the slights and the tragedies and the difficulties that you brought into people's life. Jesus knew whatever Every Jew knew in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. And so the Lord Jesus would be incarnated in a body. He would be the sacrifice for the sin. The writer of Hebrews makes this abundantly clear in Hebrews chapter 10, verses five and seven, where the writer says, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. So it was God in heaven going, mm, I love the sweet smell of mutton. Or I love the smell of steak. Mmm, those cows, mmm, those lambs, mmm, those pigeons. It isn't the death of the animal that God takes delight in. The writer of Hebrews says, Then I said, Behold, I've come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will Oh God, Jesus is going to come because it's God's will that your sin be forgiven, that your trespasses be cleansed, that your heart be made new, that you be reconciled to God and be given a place at his table forever. And the Passover feast was meant to celebrate and commemorate God's liberation of Israel from Egypt. Joseph will save Egypt from starvation in Genesis 41. Joseph's family is going to receive honor and respect, but he's going to die. The people remain enslaved. Pharaoh is going to be stubborn, but he's going to be persuaded eventually by God's judgment against his people. And some of you have been stubborn. You've resisted God. You've neglected the gospel. You hear it. And you participate it on a religious level. But maybe something or someone will bring you to that place where you will realize that sin is awful. And it's going to require cleansing. You don't want to experience the awful consequences of your sin. And so you participate. The lamb is slain. Its blood is placed on the lentil. Then it's roasted in fire. And you participate by eating the lamb's flesh and eating the bitter 
herbs. And the children of Israel were required to stand up with their traveling uniform on, with their staff in their hand, ready to leave at a moment's notice. Because you never know when you're going to be called away. And right after this supper, during this time, in this passage, Judas is going to be sent away and the disciples are going to be sent across the Kidron and Jesus is going to be arrested in a garden and be taken away and sacrificed. The feast marked a new year. In Exodus, at the beginning of chapter 12, the Lord said to Moses, Erase the calendar. This is going to be the first month of the year. This is going to be a new beginning. And for the Jew, this marked the new beginning. And for the Christian, it marks a new beginning for every person who comes into a right relationship with God in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, If any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, All of the old things have gone away. Behold, everything has become new. The feast included a male lamb in its first year, taken from the home on the 10th day of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish calendar on the 10th day. The lamb was taken into the home and it was inspected to see if there was any trace of disease or disfigurement. It had to be without spot. It had to be without disease. It had to be without defect in order to be a sufficient and appropriate sacrifice. And Jesus will be inspected by Pilate, by Herod, by Annas, By Caiaphas, he is going to receive an evaluation in this upcoming time. And they are going to find no fault or defect. Because Jesus is the lamb without spot or blemish, according to 1 Peter 1.19. The whole community of God was required to participate in the sacrifice, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 6. And the whole community of God has to accept Christ's sacrifice if they're going to be a part of that community. You see, there are people who want to be a part of the community of of God. I want to be a Christian. Or I want to go to church. Or I want to go to heaven. But in order to really be a Christ follower, in order to be a part of the community You have to embrace his identity. The sacrifice of the lamb. You have to believe by faith that Jesus is that sacrifice. The whole community had to accept the sacrifice to participate. And so the blood of the lamb would convert the home from a place of judgment to a place where you could be rescued. And that's what accepting Jesus does. Your heart becomes not the object of judgment, not the object of condemnation. Your heart becomes the place of liberation, of grace, 
of freedom and redemption. Jesus will shed his blood to rescue his people. We need to be covered and justified by that blood. Christ the Lamb will take away the sin of the world and the Passover was to be kept as a remembrance forever. And in this final meal, in this last supper, Jesus is going to refer to his, the bread as my body given to you. He's going to refer to his blood as my blood shed for you. He is going to remind his disciples that you will do this in remembrance of me. Like the Passover, it will be celebrated by the saints forever and ever. In Exodus chapter 12, at the end, towards the end of, of the chapter, in verse 46, the Lord commanded Israel to never break the bones of the sacrificial lamb. When Jesus goes to Calvary's cross in order to speed up his death, the Roman soldiers embarked on a mission to break his legs. But Jesus will already be dead. The sacrifice will have already been made. His bones will remain unbroken. The plan is in place. The preparation is in place. The resources are in place. Jesus will not simply keep the festival. He will become the festival. Its existence is to point to him. In Leviticus chapter 23 verse 1 the Lord said, speak to the Israelites, say to them, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies, unquote. Jesus is the Passover. Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He is the Bread, which if a person eats this bread, they will never die. And Messiah is unleavened in what way? He is absent sin. There is no trace of sin in your Savior. And whatever trace of sin remains in your heart, Jesus will drive it away. Jesus will conquer the grave. Jesus will come back to life. The prophet Isaiah speaks of Messiah's affliction and healing power. He says, by his stripes we are healed. And in present day celebrations, the afikoman or this bread is this flattened piece of bread that is burnt on either side with stripes across the surface of the bread. Because the Passover and the unleavened bread, Paul was right when he wrote in Colossians 2.17, these are shadows of things to come. The preparation is made. 
Jesus is going to use these types and, and shadows to reveal God's will for their lives. And so God is going to use these types and shadows in the next few weeks to reveal his will for your life, to demonstrate the mighty salvation in your life, to bring reflection and refreshment for your life. It's going to be a time of anticipation and commitment and revelation if you'll let it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we search the scriptures, as we speak about these most important things, that you would allow us to celebrate Passover in our heart, in Christ's home. That, Lord, we would be men and women who begin to understand these types and shadows, but will never ever be satisfied with anything other than the substance, which is Jesus. Lord, we know that it's fruitless and foolish to have a relationship with a photograph when we can have a relationship with a person that the type and the image will always serve as a poor substitute for the reality of a living Savior. And so, Lord, again, we pray that we wouldn't neglect so great a salvation, but that we would embrace it with all of our heart, so, Heavenly Father, I pray for that person right now who is empty and dark and lonely. Lord, I pray that they would pray that very special prayer. Dear Jesus, I know that you're real. I know that you're the solution to the problem in my heart and my life. Lord, I want to know you and I want to love you and I want to serve you. I want my sin cleansed and I want my liberation and redemption to be made complete. Won't you come into my heart? Won't you be a part of my life? I believe that you love me and that you died for me and that you rose from the dead and so you could change me from the inside out. That's what I want for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Mm -hmm.